This is TCU women's basketball player Sonona Prince, and you're listening to KTCU 88.7 FM Fort Worth. Go Frogs! Welcome to Riff Ram Review, your TCU sports talk home right here on 88.7 KTCU. Here are your hosts, Seth Dowdle, Ian Nepetian, and Zion Trammell. Welcome back to Riff Ram Review right here on 88.7 The Choice, your choice for college radio. My name's Ian Nepetian, and tonight I'm joined alongside Zion Trammell and Seth Dowdle. Boys, how are you guys doing on this fine Monday evening? Doing pretty good. You know, excited for another week here on the show. We've got, you know, lots to talk about in the second hour and got an exciting interview. Um, but yeah, doing doing pretty good. Yeah, it's good to, it's good to be back in the studio. Uh, always a joy to to talk with you two wonderful boys on the other side of the glass on on Monday evenings about sports uh it's yeah it's it's the thrill of a lifetime and the thrill of my week to to do this and we have a really good show today I think y'all are going to enjoy hopefully we do, we do. So in just a few minutes, we will have Texas Rangers radio broadcaster Jared Sandler joining us in the studio for tonight's show. We're, 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 we're going to talk to him about last season, the World Series Championship Rangers, and also what's to come in 2024. So stick right here. You're listening to Riff Ram Review on 88.7 The Choice, your choice for college radio. Babe! Babe! I'm right here. Oh, hey. Could you tie my shoes? Because, you know, I can't with... Your lobster claw hands. You know, I don't think this is working out. I hope this isn't because of my... Because if it is, I think that's pretty superficial of you. What? Yes, no. You're a karmic nightmare. I mean, why do you think you suddenly grew lobster claws for hands? It's just a bug or something. You have bad karma. What were you doing right before the claws? Nothing. Shooting bottle rockets at paddle boats. Right. So maybe some good karma, like helping out in the community, working at a soup kitchen, something. Or maybe there's a lotion or something, a cream. Lobster boy cream? Yeah, something like that. Okay, fine. Hug? No. Stay on the universe's good side. Volunteer, vote, get involved, and get yourself to getgoodkarma.org. Getgoodkarma.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Welcome back to Riff Ram Review right here on 88.7 The Choice, your choice for college radio. My name's Ian DePetian, and today I'm joined alongside Zion Trammell and Seth Dowdle, but we do have an incredibly special guest joining us today here in the studio. He's radio play-by-play voice of the Texas Rangers, Rangers pre- and post-game show host on 105.3 The Fan, and the founder of the Sandlot Children's Charity. Welcome to the studio, Jared Sandler. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. The incredibly special guest is probably overstating <laughs> just a little bit, but uh, I appreciate it. It's a very kind, uh, kind introduction, and this is this is an awesome setup. I'm I'm pumped to join you guys. No, thank you so much, and again, really appreciate you carving some time out for us here uh, in the studio. We obviously know that you're super busy, um, but firstly, we wanted to congratulate you for for all the work that you guys did this last season. You alongside Matt Hicks, Eric Nadell. And obviously for winning the uh, for, for for winning the big ring at the end, so so congratulations on that. Thanks. It was it was really special. You know, there's certain things you you don't know if they're going to happen, or you do know they're going to happen, and then when they do happen, you wake up the next day and 
it's kind of like, oh, that that's it, you know, and you move on with your life. And obviously, there are more important things in life than the Rangers winning the World Series. But it definitely did not uh, it did not disappoint. It was a, an incredibly special playoff run. And you know, you look back now on the the whole season and knowing the ending, just thinking back on some of those moments, and then. Obviously, the World Series and, and Game 5 specifically, really cool, and everything that ensued thereafter, and you know, even just people coming up and sharing their story of why it meant so much to them, and you know, their history as a Rangers fan, you, just, you realize uh, how much it, it does impact people, and you know, that's really neat, too. So it was, a, it was a really cool experience. I would love to experience it again, but uh, if that never happens, if we go another 50-plus years without a Rangers World Series, to be able to just say I got to experience that once is uh, something I'll cherish forever. Yeah, for sure. And and I, I guess just before we get into you know the, the, the questions and things like that, tell our audience just a little bit about yourself, who you are, where you're from, and, and kind of your, your career through broadcasting from, you know, even starting from USC, if, if you want. Yeah, I uh, grew up in Dallas, uh, went to Green Hill, and then went to USC. Sports has been a huge part of my life. Uh, family, the grandfather was a Olympic sprinter. My dad was a professional soccer player. Brothers uh, played sports in college. And uh, from you know my earliest memories, my life has revolved around sports and you know one of several capacities. And when I went to school at USC and sort of made the decision that I didn't want to keep playing sports because I wasn't going to play professionally. I'm very, for better or for worse, I'm kind of type A, so schedule-oriented, and my mind was thinking about you know, what I would pursue professionally. And, uh, you know, I think sometimes whether or not, you know, it would have made sense to just, you know, play out the string a little bit and go somewhere where broadcasting wasn't going to be the focus, but I decided to go to USC. They had a good broadcasting program, and I uh, was able to get involved with a lot of the athletic programs there from a broadcast standpoint. And uh, I, I learned throughout those four years at USC and then some summer broadcasting opportunities that broadcasting was something I wanted to do. I didn't know if I was going to be any good at it, but uh, I did. You know, I went there thinking it's what I wanted to do, but you don't know until you try it and loved it. And then I spent a summer in Great Falls, Montana after graduating broadcasting for the Great Falls Voyagers, uh, and then two-ish years in Michigan, and then I was able to come back to Dallas, and uh, I worked at ESPN Radio in Dallas for nine months and then got the job that I currently have, which was always the dream to be able to broadcast Major League Baseball, and you know, if, if I had the ability to you know, be very selective, it would be to broadcast for the team that I grew up rooting for, which, of course, was the Texas Rangers. So, so I mean, just how how special is that for you? I, I mean, just like you said, there, it's everyone's dream to become the 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 voice of your very team that you grew up with. What what has that experience been like since you started working there? Yeah, I, I mean, I guess it could go in a couple different directions. I guess you know, it, it could you could be disenchanted, and now all of a sudden, this this thing that was so important to you growing up is no longer special, but. Thankfully, that hasn't happened. I mean, I've, I've, if anything, fallen even more in love with the organization, getting to know the people who are a part of it, whereas, you know, growing up was just watching through a TV screen or listening through the radio. Uh, but it's it's been really cool. It's cool to be here. I think the, the coolest part of it uh, is that I'm with my family. You know, my, my family's from South Africa, so all my extended family is there. My only 
uh, stateside family is is in the DFW area, and I uh, met my wife and her family's all here too. So, uh, you know, I, I don't have to worry about sneaking home for Thanksgiving or winter break, uh, you know, holidays to see family. And, you know, I got nieces and nephews, you know, everyone's here and I get to share in this experience with them, you know, having my family attend, you know, a World Series game or just, you know, being able to broadcast for a team that my friends care about, you know, is really neat. And then for me individually, you know, I think I'd probably be passionate about any team uh, for which I got to broadcast games because, again, you get to know the people and it becomes even more uh, real life, you know, and when there are people whose livelihoods are impacted. But, I mean, I, I didn't have to manufacture any interest or passion because I, I was passionate about it. And then, you know, the other thing is I, I, I know what it means to be a Rangers fan. You know, I, I think uh, I'm, I'm fortunate I've never really lost that. You know, I, I hope I don't cross any lines when broadcasting. Uh, obviously, a home broadcast, you're probably going to be able to tell that they – are a little more excited for one team as opposed to the other. But, uh, you know, I don't want to do anything that, that uh, tilts the scales too much. But, you know, I think I also I, – I, I get it. I understand the struggles of a Rangers fan and, and now the joys of what 2023 meant because I am one. I, I don't have to fake it. It's not something I've grown into. It's something that from my earliest memories I was. Yeah. Now, now I guess transitioning to last season, an absolute roller coaster of highs and lows and – what for you were those emotions like with that final out when Josh Josh Spores strikes out Cattell Marte, um, and you hear your broadcast partner Eric, Eric Nadell make that call? What were those emotions for you personally, perhaps as a fan, but also as a broadcaster, someone that knows the Rangers through and through? Yeah, I, so I, I'm down on the field in the ninth inning or in the the tunnel, uh, right next to the Diamondbacks dugout, and, and have a good view of the game. Uh, but on the field, getting ready to go on the field for the post-game uh, portion of our, our coverage. Uh, and so I'm standing next to Emily Jones, uh, big TCU supporter, yep. by the way. Uh, awesome. And, you know, I, I've been with Emily since I started and, and incredibly close to her. So it was really neat to kind of be next to say, if I wasn't going to be able to, to be in the booth with Matt and Eric, it was it was cool to be with Emily. You know, I didn't feel like I was alone just – surrounded only by the the national folks you know all the other people covering the the games and it was just like uh, going into the ninth it was one nothing and based on the rangers history i don't know that you feel too good about that uh and then the rangers added two runs on a a jonah heim single that got past uh, alec thomas the center fielder uh and jonah ended up getting to third and now it's three nothing. You're like, holy smokes! Uh, is this this is maybe going to happen? And then Marcus Simeon hit a home run, and now it's five nothing, and uh, it's going to happen. And and I remember my heart just started pounding. And you know, in the the bottom of the ninth, it was just let's get through this. Like I, it, it's going to happen. I mean, I, I know anything can happen, but like in my head, you're just waiting for three more outs. And when it happened, it kind of went into work mode because now I got to, you know, I'm waiting for them to give me the, the, you know, all, all clear to get on the field. And I got to figure out, you know, who I'm going to talk to and get these interviews lined up. But like, I'd say that's 80% of me, but 20% of me was like, holy smokes, the Rangers just won the world. Series. like, I'm looking around and, and the, you know, the other part too is I, 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 I didn't want to take 
I don't want to say I didn't take the the job seriously, but I definitely took a moment to appreciate it. Right? You don't know when this will happen again, and uh, you know there are a lot of people you you, you spend so much time with, travel with. Uh, you know they they are. I mean the cliche as it goes. You know they're kind of your family for eight months out of the year, and there's a lot of hugging and congratulating and. Uh, you know, it was just, it was, it was special. I was trying to do interviews while people were hugging me or, you know, I, was, I needed to go and just give a hug to this person and then going into the clubhouse for the champagne celebration. I mean, that was just surreal. Yeah. And same thing. I, I, you know, I'm trying to navigate through champagne that's getting sprayed, that's getting in my eyes inadvertently or people pouring stuff on me uh, while trying to do my job and, uh, hopefully I was able to balance it, but I, I, again, same thing. I took a second to just appreciate that this happened. And then also think of how lucky I am that, you know, I have a job where I'm, I'm here for this, right. I'm, I'm experiencing this live. And, you know, I think the emotions really kicked in afterwards, went up to the booth and we had, you know, extended post-game coverage and just sitting with, with Matt and Eric and, you know, Eric's been my mentor since I was, 17 and I am incredibly close with him. Uh, you know, Eric doesn't have kids. And so I know, I mean, he said to me on a number of occasions, and it, it is one of the most meaningful statements I've ever heard in my life that, uh, you know, I'm like a son to him and he's like another dad to me. And knowing what he went through last year, dealing with some of the mental health struggles and the anxiety, uh, and, and also knowing that, you know, I, I, I know that he, thought that that moment would never happen, right? Uh, forget the the health stuff. You know, 2011 passed, and then, you know, the run that kind of ended after 2016, and you start losing a lot of games. Like, is this ever going to happen? And I was just so happy for him that he had that moment. And I got emotional on air sharing that with him uh, and just getting to to share that moment with with Eric and Matt was really cool. Yeah, just sounds like an incredible experience. All the heartbreak over the years, finally getting that big moment. Um, in 2023, we saw a lot of young guys come up with the Rangers, but obviously Evan Carter was the standout. Uh, for someone so young in, in baseball, he just seemed to stand out in such big moments. What would you say, what would you attribute that to? Well, definitely... You know, Evan's a, a bright guy. Uh, he wanted to be a dentist. You know, he didn't. Evan, he, small town, Tennessee. Uh, you're not exposed to the rest of the country when all you all your baseball knowledge is just kind of in the area. He didn't do. I mean, a lot of people talked about how you know, he didn't do those national showcases and stuff. So he wasn't stacking himself up against you know the best of the best in high school. So you know, he didn't know that he was any good right until. Uh, some scouts saw him, liked him, and next thing you know, he's getting drafted and getting a, a seven-figure bonus. But I, I just think he's a really bright guy and is able to process things. I, I remember early on, we I, I was debating a player, and I don't want to say his name because of what I'm about to say, uh, and someone shared with me, he's he's not smart enough. Like, he's he is not a smart guy. He, it's not going to work out for him. And I remember saying, that, that doesn't mean anything, because you think about you know, guys who uh, probably don't go to class in college or care much the, you know, in high school, guys that come straight from high school to the NBA back when I was growing up when that was allowed. Uh, listen, some of the best athletes aren't, 
aren't Rhodes scholars, but I've come to learn that it's it's not it's not that it's not you know were they valedictorians this or that although he was I think uh, salutatorian or maybe finished third in his class, but it's your ability to to mentally process stuff and tro- uh, troubleshoot problem solve, you know it, for a baseball player when you do have that inevitable slump or slumps in a given season how you go about mentally handling it and and figuring out ways to get out of it and same thing in basketball or you know all this stuff football how you consume film right you know it, and so it's not about where you get at bc calculus but i do think there is a mental component that some of the best athletes have that maybe some of the lesser athletes lack and I don't know how to measure it. I know they try with all the different testing in the NFL Combine. I don't know. You know, C.J. Stroud was awful at that stuff, and look at, you know, what he's done. So I, I don't know how to measure that, but there's something there. And Evan has that. I, he just, I think he 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 approaches situations in a way where mentally, he he frames it in 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 a way that makes sense to him and, and doesn't make it too big of a moment. I think naturally he also is just kind of a very even kill guy, and then let's not forget incredibly talented. I, I you know I do a podcast with Nate Lowe, and one of the first things he said after Evans' debut in the regular season, he's like, "This guy doesn't know how good he is. Like he doesn't realize how special of a player he can be." And that when that comes from a peer, a veteran who's established, uh, you know that that means something. And he obviously put it on full display in October and. Uh, the Rangers probably don't win a World Series without him. Yeah, and on the flip side, you know, you talk about the youth of Evan Carter. There was, um, you know, the veteran presence, Seager, Simeon, Evaldi, heck, you know, even throwing, you know, Bruce Bochy and how much experience he's, he's had. How much do you, you know, I mean, you get a, a good insight into the uh, inner workings of a baseball team as as the broadcaster. What insight would you give to people about how, you know, people that have been in the game, played the game a long time, give to younger guys like Evan or just, you know, the team as a whole? Yeah, I think so. A lot's made of, you know, these intangible things, right? Mm -hmm. Chemistry and this and that. And, uh, you know, these guys like each other, so they're going to (laughs) win. I I remember in 2016, the Blue Jays hated each other, but they swept (laughs) the Rangers in the first round. I mean, that was not a clubhouse that was very together. I mean, you could probably spin it certain ways, but you know that was a nice reminder that things like that are oh, you got to be hot going into the playoffs. Well, the Rangers weren't, and they won mm-hmm. the World Series. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think you know, for Bruce Bochy's standpoint, first of all, I, I'm obviously not privy to the X's and O's baseball discussions that he always has with these guys. But there's no doubt that he, whether it's passing on information to the coaches who then relay to the players, or those direct conversations with the players, he you know he he's incredibly valuable. I think. What what Bruce Bochy did that impacted the players, especially the young guys, was you know as as the season, you know as any season does, experience the ups and downs. He was the same guy. You would never know, uh, you would never know on a given day if the Rangers had won their tenth straight the night before or lost their tenth straight. You, you know, and, and specific to this season, you would never have known that the Rangers had just lost their fifth game in the last uh, six with you know another late inning lead blown, which that happened in a critical juncture of the season. They were really struggling, and they lost control of the division. But you would never have known that. And I think that stuff I – don't, I don't know that you can communicate that. I think you can say, hey, guys, stay calm. But, I, I mean, how often do you guys get told something? It's like, oh, easier said than done. Yeah. But when you see people doing it and you see your manager, 
who's got skins on the wall. You see your best players. I think that stuff's really important. Now, you know, guys like Mitch Garver, Nate Lowe, they love talking hitting. There's no doubt that, you know, they're sharing what they're experiencing with some of the younger guys. Marcus Simeon's, you know, been through so much. Corey Seager had won a World Series before. You know, I think those conversations are really important. I I do think that guys talk shop and trade ideas, exchange, you know, their 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 own personal kind of scouting reports on pitchers, uh, how they attack, you know, you know, me in this situation and that situation. But I just think there's there's so much value in the observation part of it and when uh, guys are, are carrying themselves in a certain way from a, a you know the mental viewpoint. I think that that has a big impact. But uh, I, I do think that there's a lot of support in this clubhouse. I'll, I'll give an example. Evan Carter makes that catch against Jose Altuve uh, in was a game one yeah. of, of yeah. the of the ALCS, and you know a lot was made how before the game. Robbie Grossman, Travis Jankowski went out there with him. Guys who are losing playing time to him, they took him out there and they shared their experiences of dealing with the short wall that the Crawford boxes and left and the angle uh, that that wall takes to create the the left center field portion of the field and how the garage, the garage doors and the columns all impact everything. And, you know, Evan Carter – that night gets put into a, a, a big spot, big opportunity, and makes a series changing catch possibly. Uh, and so those are the things where I think it really comes to, to the forefront. You get guys who put their egos aside and make decisions, have conversations, share information for the betterment of the team, even if it's directly helping someone who's taking you know, opportunities away from them. So as we look ahead to 2024, the the Rangers, they've added some bullpen arms and veteran bullpen arms and David Robertson and Kirby Yates. Uh, they re-signed Jankowski, brought in uh, Tyler Malley. What have you made of the offseason move so far for the Rangers? Yeah, so I think a lot of people have thought, well, you know, because of the Bally stuff, they, you know, that's why they're not spending big. And there's no doubt that that situation has contributed to you know, how they've approached things. But I think you could also make a case that this was the perfect offseason for the Rangers to not need to spend big. They've spent almost a billion dollars the last couple off seasons, and they've got a really good roster. It's just about plugging holes. And uh, and I think, you know, they've, they've certainly done a nice job with the bullpen. They are, because of the pitching moves they've made and the injury that they learned about, this offseason to Max Scherzer, they are in a position where they probably still need to add some bullpen depth, or excuse me, some rotation depth, uh, because Tyler Malley won't be available till the middle of the year. DeGrom, not till the middle of the year. Scherzer, same thing. Plus, I mean, you know, you can't rely on the five that you have, and they do have five. Uh, you can't rely on them to be healthy uh, the whole way. But, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think, you know, they didn't make the big splash, and that's okay. Uh there is possibly, you know, another big move left, uh, but you know they they've fixed up some holes, and I think they've put themselves in a really good position to run it back. And you know, the Rangers had success after two really strong off seasons, but more often than not, the team that spends big in the off season isn't necessarily the team that wins big at the end of the the day, right? When I mean, we see this uh, in all sports, and so, and I get it from a fan's perspective, it's tough to get pumped up about the role player acquisitions, but. You know, 
Travis Jankowski was a huge part of last season, and I don't think anyone bl- uh, batted an eye when they signed him last offseason, right? I'm not saying he's going to replicate that this year, but those are sometimes the moves that really are the difference makers, and those are the types of moves I think they've they've attempted to make while you know obviously being mindful of the the bottom line. Uh, and then there's luxury tax implications, which you know it, that's a probably a more in depth conversation <laughs> for another time. Yeah. Uh, speaking of, I guess. Uh, and you mentioned the Bally's part and, and everything, but what's your gauge on the Jordan Montgomery situation? So even that, like, I, I think there are, there are a lot of people who think, oh, well, had it not been for the Bally stuff, the Rangers would have already signed him. Mm-hmm. I definitely think there's interest, but I also think there are baseball reasons why the Rangers maybe haven't pulled the trigger yet, right? Uh, he's north of 30, and I think when the Rangers acquired him in the regular season, they kind of had a thought as the regular season, uh, you know, was – or as he was pitching in the regular season for the Rangers, that at around the 75-80 pitch mark, things started to tail off a little bit. Now, obviously, it was great in the postseason. But you're going to probably have to give him $100-plus million. And do you want to do that for another pitcher who's north of 30, who you already maybe think stamina-wise isn't you know at 100%? And, and that's not to say th- you know guys change, right? Trajectories are not always... Uh, you know, they don't always progress in the same direction. Uh, but, you know, you got Jacob deGrom, who you've paid a lot of money to already north of 30. Uh, do you want to do that again with Jordan Montgomery? Again, there's the luxury tax side of things in which, you know, the Rangers are in a position where they might need to really make some some tough financial decisions unless they want to, you know, hinder their draft position and, and all these things. I, I think the Rangers are in a position where – it would be awesome if they could point to one or two guys in their system who they'd feel comfortable from the beginning of the season taking some of the load in the in the rotation. But that's that's unfortunately been a gap for the Rangers. They don't have that. Uh, will the Rangers sign Montgomery? I still tend to think they won't, and I, I think some of it is strategic baseball, you know, reasoning. Uh, but you know, I, I it's definitely not a it's definitely not. A, a, a done deal that they won't. And as other teams make moves to acquire their pitchers, you know, maybe it, it, it shrinks Jordan's market and it puts the Rangers in a position where it, it does make more sense from a financial position. So, of course, depending on what the decision is for Jordan Montgomery, uh, how would you arrange the rotation uh, in the first half of the season before the reinforcements arrive here in the second half? Well, I guess I'll, I'll answer it this way. The, guy, the five guys who would make up that rotation. You got Evaldi, Dunning, Gray, Heaney, and Bradford. The order to me, I mean, I, I think Evaldi deserves to start opening day. That's, you know, obviously a big honor and it's going to be at home. Sometimes when you start on the road, you kind of can can give two guys the honor. You get the opening day starter and then the home opening starter, but the Rangers will, will have opening day at home. And then after that, I mean, I, I guess to me, maybe you go John Gray next, but it gets mixed and, and matched. You know, you skip some guy's start, and now they you know fit him in in this spot uh, or that spot. But I I think those are probably the five guys. Now that's assuming all five guys stay healthy between now and opening day, and so that's where the Rangers need to add some protection because obviously they didn't feel good enough about Owen White at the end of last year, and I don't know that enough can happen between now and opening day to where you're like, yeah, I do feel good about him being in the rotation. 
Uh, you know, and, and Jack Leiter's not in, I don't think, in that spot yet, although he did have a better end to the 2023 season and maybe is a candidate at some point this year to come up. So what do the Rangers do? Well, it's tough to just stockpile veteran starters because if they don't know that they're going to be in your rotation, they're either not signing with you or they've got an out in their contract where at the end of spring training they can they can leave. So even if there's an injury and you have one of those veteran guys you bring on a minor league deal with an invite to big league spring training and he's not opting out because of injury A, he's going to be in the rotation, you still are, are thin. You still are going to lose the veterans who aren't going to be in the rotation. And so the Rangers desperately either need to sign someone who is a for sure starting pitcher, and now you maybe put Andrew Heaney in a hybrid role. Dane Dunning could do that as well. You know, whatever you want to do to give you some more depth, or you just got to hope that some of your young guys take steps forward and are ready to make three to five starts if needed over the first few months of the season. Now, kind of piggybacking off the reinforcements, even just promoting guys up to the big leagues. Obviously, we saw it with Evan Carter last season. What at what point do you think Wyatt Lankford comes up to the big leagues, and 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 how would the outfield kind of look with that with the Rangers and and um, whether it's Wyatt Lankford or, or even other prospects that you have your eye on? Who are some guys that you think the Rangers can bring up? Yeah, so I mean Wyatt Lankford's obviously leaps and bounds above anyone else, and and he might be on the opening day roster. You know, if if he has a, I think you always got to be careful about making decisions based on a spring training you know, set of games for a guy because, I mean, it, it time and time again, spring training production, you know, doesn't necessarily guarantee regular season production, but sometimes it's what you got to go off of. I think the Rangers, and they haven't tipped their hand at all, perhaps internally they, they're of the mindset, we don't care what he does in spring training. He's going to start in AAA. Let's give him a month's worth of at-bats, and then we'll call him up. Or maybe they have the mindset of, no, no. I mean, he, you know, he could, you know, he could or should be on our opening day roster. And my guess is there are people in the front office who feel that way, and there are people in the front office who feel like he should just start in AAA. Uh, I, I do think the opening day thing's a possibility, and you're one injury away from where it's not just a possibility; it's probably you know almost a guarantee, right? Uh, where he fits. You know, he's too good of an athlete. He's not, over the course of his career, he's not going to be just a DH-only guy. But who are you going to take, you know, time away from? You you don't want to limit Evan Carter's reps. He might be your best defensive outfielder. Adolis Garcia just won a gold glove. I I don't think you want to just tell Adolis, hey, uh, we're going to kind of have you as a a part-time DH. And. If Laoti Tavares is in the lineup, a big chunk of his value is what he does defensively. So DHing Laoti doesn't really make sense. I think that you know what you can do, and, and this is where you know Bruce Bochy has to you know tap into his experience to try find the right balance. You know maybe Evan Carter sits against some tough lefties. You don't want to just bury him against lefties because then he's not going to be able to grow against lefties. All right, well there White Langford in the lineup there. Uh, Adolis Garcia shouldn't be a part time DH, but you know, once every two weeks, I don't think it, you know, is a, a silly idea to have him DH just for his body preservation. I think there's some data out there that shows with a day off or a DH day, his production actually spikes up. I mean, he's he's not getting any younger. He's a big body. He's the type of guy who might wear down a little bit. You don't want that. 
Uh, and what if Leody Tavares really struggles, right? He had, a, he had a really nice year last year, took a step forward. What if that doesn't happen? Well, again, problem solved. And someone is going to get hurt. I hate to say it. I mean, it just it's rare that you have three outfielders who stay in that spot all year. I think it's important that White Langford gets time in the outfield. I think it's really tough to have a, a young guy who's trying to establish himself at the big league level DH. And it's not something you can quantify, but I've heard it time and time again from players that, you know, there is an art to understanding how to mentally deal with, hey, I just struck out and I can't contribute to the team for the next 50 minutes to an hour because I'm not doing anything in the field, right? And so as a young guy trying to establish himself, you want to give that guy opportunities to contribute. The One of the reasons why I thought it made sense to call up Evan Carter was even if he struggled offensively, you knew he was going to help the team out defensively and he could have, you know, mentally that, you know, that, that uh, satisfaction of, hey, I'll, I'll get the offense going, although you know it, 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 there was no struggle offensively. But if it happened, I can get the offense going. But gosh, you know I'm I'm helping the team out defensively. Well, if you're a DH, you're not doing that, and so they got to figure out the right way to work him in. And maybe that is one reason why they send him to AAA to begin the years because they're not confident in their ability to do so, and they wait for that first opportunity to call him up. Well. I feel like we've done enough grilling you about base, uh, Rangers baseball. So now we're going to pivot to some rapid-fire questions, if, okay. you are, if you are willing. The first half of these are baseball-centric, but then the next half I have uh, taken the liberty to veer away from the sport of baseball okay. in sports in general. So whenever uh, you'll have, I'll give you like five to ten seconds to answer each of these. Oh, wow, okay. <laughs> All right. Favorite- what happens if it takes more than five to ten seconds? Do I get... Like kick to the behind the glass area with you. Yeah, you okay. become the producer. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, I run yeah. the board. Yeah. All right, okay. that's yeah. incentive. Okay, all right. Favorite ballpark other than Globe Life Field? Wrigley Field. Favorite baseball player growing up? Ken Griffey Jr. and Michael Young. Favorite sport other than baseball? Who said baseball is my favorite sport? Ooh. I don't know. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. Oh. Uh, my first love <laughs> was basketball, but asking okay. me to choose my favorite sport is like that cliche, pick your favorite kid. I, mm. The sports that are up there, basketball, baseball, football, hockey, soccer, tennis, golf is just a peg behind. Okay. If you could put one player into the uh, Baseball Hall of Fame right now that isn't in, who would you pick? Well, Carlos Delgado, to me, it makes no sense that he's not in. And the other, Gary Sheffield, who just fell off the ballot. I, to me, I, steroid stuff aside, I, I don't understand why those guys aren't in. Oh, what's your favorite ballpark food? I do try a hot dog everywhere I go. Just I think it's a nice, nice gauge. I, I'm trying to think of something specific. Um, Yankee Stadium has the best media dining. I know I'm exceeding my 10 seconds. I apologize. <laughs> trying to provide different perspective. Uh, I think San Diego has the best collection of of local flavors brought into the ballpark okay. that aren't chainy or generic like catering stuff. I know several San Diego Padres fans who would be very honored that you said that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. All right. Favorite sports movie? Oh, that's so tough. <laughs> uh, I'll say The Sandlot. Because I feel like I lived that as a kid growing up, playing baseball, and then getting to broadcast some of his childhood friends at the major league level. Awesome. All right. Favorite hobby? Sport. I mean, I, I love, I, I honestly, I love watching, talking, so I, staying active, playing basketball, hanging with my, my family. Same here. Where's your favorite place to go on vacation or the favorite place you have been on vacation? 
Well, I'd say Cape Town, South Africa, because mm-hmm. my family's in Johannesburg. Uh, going, I, the, I, I've never been to Italy. That's where I want to go. Uh, domestically, a ski trip with okay. friends is amazing. Okay. What's your favorite planet other than Earth? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Hollywood, planet Hollywood. Okay, yeah. Uh, okay. Spun- that, yeah. that was outside of the parameters, yeah. but, you know, it works. All right. Or Captain Planet. Okay. Are you guys are you guys too young for Captain Planet? Okay. I know Planet Hollywood. Okay. I know Planet Hollywood. Yeah. Captain not. Planet was like a really the animation. Now that I think about it, is like so bad compared to modern day animation. That was a, that was a um, a cartoon when I was growing up. Okay. How often do you think you think about the Roman Empire? <laughs> <laughs> I took Latin in high school, so okay. I thought about it a lot more then than I do now. Okay. Uh, Super Mario Bros. or Zelda? Super Mario Bros. Okay. And then finally, how do you feel about cranberries? I like cranberries. (laughs) First of all, I like the band, the cranberries. Okay. They have a few hits. Uh, And yeah, I like cranberries just fine. Okay. And that wraps up the rapid fire corner. Thank you so much. Okay. So I know the Roman Empire thing was like a TikTok trend, right? Yeah. yeah. Is there the cranberries that just totally random or was that That a TikTok thing too? That was just something. I I mean, they know I just come up with things. No, no. I I love randomness. I just didn't know if that was like, I need to. I need young people to help me stay up to date with like these TikTok trends. That is absolutely not a trend okay, unless right. I was I were to make it one. Okay, so. yeah. Well, let's let's yeah. yeah, maybe we can make it one. Yeah. Good stuff, Jared. That was uh that was pretty good. Yeah, um, yeah I'm trying yeah. to think if I those are always, you always like think I mean the the sports movie one's so tough. I think there's so many great sports movies, but yeah. there haven't been any recently. Yeah. Yeah. Other than like documentaries yep. and stuff like that. I yeah, think 42 was the last sports movie that I remember. Like, and you liked lot, it? That well, like yeah, that a lot. That was like a big cultural moment. If yeah, that makes any yeah. Because every single uh, the, the rest of the ones that come out since it's just kind of oh look a a boxing movie. I mean, I guess Creed maybe could fit. Into yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Champions we, was good. Champions, I like that. Yeah. And it's, but uh, have you heard of the Iron Claw that came out recently? It's like about the three the. Um, Oh, what are the names? I forgot their last name, but they're three brothers that grew up in a and, boxing and, family yeah, and, and things like that. It was, it was wrestling, yeah, in Dallas. Yeah. Um, the oh my gosh, I can I cannot remember the Von Eric brothers. Okay, I, yeah. Okay, yes, from, in I, Dallas. Yeah. So I, I'm I'm fam- I'm not a wrestling guy, but I am familiar with the Von Erichs and the very tragic family story. Yeah. Um, I didn't know the name, but I had heard someone on the radio talking about it a few yeah. months ago. Was, was it really, good? It was really good, yeah. Um, that was one of them, uh, uh, like a really good sports movie that I've seen recently. So th- like, but that wasn't a documentary. That was like a, a movie. It was an actual movie, okay. yeah. yeah. Zach right. Efron's in it. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, Jared, now switching gears, we want to touch on your involvement. Obviously, you're, you're the founder of the Sandlot Children's Charity. You founded it in 2017. Could you tell us a little bit about your work with the charity and, and really why you started it? Well, I think, first of all, I, I, I don't believe that, and we'll just go with athletes. I don't believe athletes have a responsibility to use their platform for anything. I think, I, I think they have a responsibility to understand the impact of their platform so they don't spread, you know, I, I shouldn't say bad in, in like my opinion versus yours, but like factually incorrect stuff that influence people. But I think they have an opportunity to do something. And, and I've always felt one of the reasons why I was drawn to sports. You know, I probably talked about it, Ian, when we met a few years ago when I spoke at uh, you know, one of the classes you were in, is that I think sports can impact people. Um, not that other areas of, uh, of the, uh, you know, life or, or hobbies or activities can't, but I've just seen it. I, I, you know, whether it's a team, uh, an athlete, 
sports have the ability to make a difference. And uh, I just always told myself that if I ever establish some sort of a platform as a broadcaster, that I wanted to use it. Uh, and I wanted to use my involvement in sports to help others. And there were two things that you know really were important to me. One was racial equality. The other was uh, you know supporting people with disabilities. I don't have any family members with disabilities that would lead me down that path. It's just a community of people I've always been drawn to, their positivity, their their desire to, to live. And uh, I've always resented the way people put limits on them. And, you know, at the time when I made this decision, this, the social issues uh, that, you know, really moved to the forefront in, you know, the, the pandemic era, it, I mean, to say that racial inequality was not an issue would be absurd, but it just, it wasn't, there wasn't as much support and there weren't as many tangible things that someone without tons and tons and tons of money could maybe achieve other than just my daily life trying to promote equality, right? And, and I continue to do that. There, was, there were more tangible goals that could be reached in supporting people with disabilities uh, because I, I, I wasn't going to, I didn't, first of all, I didn't know if I'd raise a penny, but I, I knew I wasn't off the back going to raise millions and millions of dollars. So that's the route I went. And it, it, like I said, I mean, I, I just, I, and I've, I've even more so since, you know, going down this path, falling in love with the, the disability community and, and all the folks who are a part of it, it, either because they do have a disability or the people who try to support those folks. And, um, I just, you know, we we organically, our mission and, and the way we impact that community has evolved as we've learned more and kind of figured out where we fit in. But, you know, the, the foundation of it all is uh, wanting to provide financial support to really it's become organizations who then support kids with disabilities so that they can give these kids the athletic and active opportunities that were so important to so many of us growing up uh, that financially is way more prohibitive for someone with disabilities than it is for someone without. And we've got incredible support from the sports community in DFW, the baseball community at large, and just, you know, the, so many people and businesses and individuals in the area. And and you host an annual event called Swinging for a Cause. You guys just held your seventh annual event, and this one was at Globe Life Field. Tell us about what goes on at this event, and just just everything kind of kind of that goes into it. Yeah. So the first, well, five of the first six were at Top Golf. One of those was uh, online because of the pandemic. So, uh, but but for the first six years, our event was at Top Golf. Loved it, but we kind of felt like it was time for a change, and we made the decision before we knew the Rangers would win the World Series mm-hmm. and we'd be able to have the trophy at the event. That we were going to do it at Globe Life Field, we wanted. We felt like we could make it more inclusive of an event. Uh, it, it more tied to our mission. Uh, it was. It, it, it. You know, when I say inclusive, I, I mean not just people with and without disabilities, but uh, people who maybe didn't care about golf. You know, that they could go and and have fun. We we basically had a field day in the outfield. All sorts of different activities, ranging from. Uh, you know, wiffle ball tournament to a penalty kick shootout. We had a, a basketball shootout, a football throw, stuff that, you know, you, you don't necessarily have the ability to do if you go to the state fair. Like our football throw wasn't just, hey, stand in front of a thing five yards away and throw. We kind of gave you the opportunity at 5, 10, 15, 20 yards to make throws at different targets, 
the penalty kick shootout, right? I mean, that's not something you get to do much of. Uh, and so it was a field day at the ballpark. You get to be on the field. You get it, you know, something as simple as playing catch on the field. You can go to the batting cages. You can throw a pitch off the mound and get uh, your velocity measured. But it wasn't a baseball-only event. That was really important uh, to me and, and, and our board. Again, inclusive, want, you know, want to uh, be able to satisfy a lot of different appetites. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it was just let's go have fun and be a kid on a, you know, a major league field. And I think I take for granted because I stepped foot on major league fields for my job for seven and a half straight months. Uh, how cool it is for someone who doesn't get to do that to just be there. And then the fact that it turned out to be the home of the world series champions obviously made it a little more special. And, uh, it was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, and we had, uh, I think around 800 or so people that attended and, we were able to raise. We ended up raising with some donations that trickled in after a little shy of four hundred fifty thousand. Oh wow, that's yeah. that's it's amazing. A lot of fun. Yeah. Seriously, con- awesome. congratulations on that. I mean, Thank that's you. that's that's huge. And and I, I guess now the 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 next step is how how do people get involved? How can people get involved with the Sandlot Children's Charity? Yeah, so I I tweet about it incessantly uh, at Jared Sandler, but the website pretty simple, the Sandlot.org. Um, I guess the ways to get involved, obviously, donations. Donations are always helpful. They're always important. Uh, buying tickets to our event, uh, you know, our main event, you mentioned Swinging for a Cause, which will be back at Globe Life Field this December. We, we always wait on the NFL schedule to finalize a date uh, because we don't want to have to compete with a Cowboys game. Uh, but it will likely be the first week of December, like it's pretty much been every year. Uh, and... And then we have a happy hour event in the middle of uh, the summer. But, excuse me, we also have an ambassador program, which is for people who, you know, they're not on the board or they don't want to be on the board or we don't want them on the board. Uh, and they want to they want to contribute. Uh, we, you know, for the ambassador program, we set up volunteer opportunities where we go out as a team and volunteer at, at you know, some of these organizations we support. We have social events. So, you know, there's a networking component to it. And then we also provide resources and support for our, our ambassadors if they, you know, if they have an interest or an area of expertise that can help the charity. Because we're we don't have any full time employees. We're kind of you know mom and pop little engine that could. And so all the support we get is you know super helpful. And so we've had some ambassadors who have taken on responsibilities for certain areas that have helped us grow as a charity. And and then I think the biggest thing too is with that being said, just spreading the word. You know, you asking about Ian, I appreciate it. Uh, the more people who know about the charity, the you know the more uh, you know the, the, the more we get our name out there, the you know bigger impact we can have. For sure. Well, well, uh, just just once again, con- congratulations on everything that you've achieved with the Sandlot Children's Charity, and as well as with the Texas Rangers. I mean, again, winning the World Series in the end. I mean, that's that's. It's an amazing thing that not a lot of people can experience, and, and especially for someone like you to to appreciate that is is definitely special. So, um, Jared, lastly, thank you so much for joining our show today. Really appreciate you coming down. We we know it's a long drive for you, but 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 making time for us is 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 really um it's it's greatly appreciated. So I appreciate you guys having me. Thank you so much. Of course. So so folks listening, um. Just, just in the car ride back home, um, online. Be sure to follow Jared at Jared Sandler underscore on Instagram. And then be sure to follow him on Twitter at Jared Sandler. If you guys want to check out the Sandlot Children's Charity, you can go online at thesandlot.org or follow them at Sandlot Charity on Instagram. Um, for us, we've still got a whole show ready to go on this wonderful Monday evening. So stick right here. You're listening to Riff Ram Review on 88.7 The Choice.
The following message is brought to you by Goodwill and the Ad Council. The inherent right to work is one of the elemental privileges of a free people. Endowed as our nation is with abundant physical resources and inspired as it should be with the high purpose to make those resources and opportunities available for the enjoyment of all, we approach this problem of re-employment with the real hope of finding a better answer than we have now. Your stuff can be more powerful than you think. Your stuff can be a resource for change. Donate to Goodwill, where your donations help fund job placement and training for people in your community. Goodwill. Donate stuff. Create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. Today, my new dad threw a barbecue. Today, my new son and I threw a barbecue. There were burgers and chicken. I burnt everything. The burgers, the chicken, the salad. Ah! They were delicious. They were awful. And then, and then we had watermelon. <laughs> I'm allergic to watermelon. And then we played catch. I broke Mr. Lewis's window. Mrs. Wakeham's window. Mrs. Wakeham's windshield. And then, somehow, my hand. My hand! <laughs> and then my dad even let me drive his car. The hospital's on the right! It was a rough day. It was a great day. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Thousands of kids in foster care will take you just as you are. For more information on how you can adopt, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council. Hey, this is Reba McIntyre, and I wanted to take a moment to talk to you about a serious problem right here in our own backyard. Did you know that there are nearly 16 million kids struggling with hunger in America? That's one out of every five precious children in this country who might not get to eat dinner tonight. But hope is just around the bend because there's enough healthy, nutritious food produced in this country to put a smile on the face of every last hungry kid. And that's when the Feeding America Nationwide Network of Food Banks steps into the picture. They collect surplus food, engaging their communities in solving hunger and giving hope to the hungry kids and their families. But they need your help. So join me in supporting Feeding America and your local food bank. Find out how you can help at feedingamerica.org. Together, we can solve hunger. Together, we're Feeding America. A message from Feeding America and the Ad Council. Welcome back to episode 18 of Riff Ram Review right here on 88.7 The Choice. I'm Zion Trammell joined by Ian Apetian and Seth Dowdle. Wanted to thank Jared Sandler for coming on the show. It was a lot of fun talking about the Texas Rangers and chatting about baseball with him. It was a really fun time. So thank you again, Jared, for, for coming on the show. Uh, let's get right into it, though, because we're going to talk a little bit about TCU men's basketball. Uh, last week they had two games, one against number 15 Texas Tech and Texas on Saturday. Things went pretty well for the Frogs against Texas Tech. They won 85-78 to in what was one of the most chaotic and loud atmospheres I've been a part of as a TCU fan and and just you know being there at, at the Schollmeyer Arena it was so loud 
um, and and so much fun to watch. Uh, Tra- Travion Tennyson led the way with 23 points. But uh, yeah, let's talk about this game. What were some of the takeaways from that win over Texas Tech? Yeah, I mean, just just an emphatic win for TCU uh, coming into a week where you've got number 15 Texas Tech and unranked Texas, which we'll get to later. Um, it was obviously a huge week for basketball, um, and you know TCU coming in with a two-game winning streak to get that win over Tech is huge. Um, it's also great to see that there were five TCU Horn Frogs in double figures for scoring. Uh, just like you said, Tennyson at 23, PV 18, Coles 12, Miller 11, and Jameer Nelson Jr. with 10. Um, really got some good production from a good chunk of folks, which I think is, is good to see, you know. Um, and I was I was, I was, I was very uh, uh, pleased with it. Um, I, I wasn't able to be at the game, but the atmosphere sounded pretty insane. So yeah, it sounded good. Sounded like it was. Uh, was it loud at all? Yeah, it was. It was very loud. There was a not as many Texas Tech fans as the previous two years that I've been to TCU versus Texas Tech. Obviously, there was a you know a good amount, but uh, man, when Jameer Nelson he hit a three pointer to give us I think it was a seventy nine to seventy lead. I mean, that was as loud as I've heard Shulmire Arena. It was really incredible, um, and I think it played into the favor of TCU. Yeah, that's uh, keep the, the. I don't know if people that aren't haven't been students here for that long know, but like when it was the year I think that Ian and I, and even oh yeah, Zion, you got here twenty one. Yeah, I transferred right? here the same time as uh, y'all got here. Yeah, basketball was not really a thing that students showed up for here, and that was you know given. You know, a lack of winning was definitely a factor there, but people just didn't really care about uh, about basketball. But last three seasons, it's been crazy. It has discouraged me from going. That's how much it's been crazy. Because now, instead of just walking in and getting a seat, now I actually have to make effort to uh, <laughs> <laughs> to go to the game. But it, it's it's really nice. I guess we can you know pivot into the Texas game because of the crowd that was there too. Yeah. Uh, how long were people? Like it, people got there at three in the morning. Yeah, and for the Texas game. Yeah, and yeah. they were wrapped around the because uh, the practice the football practice facility is just right there. Uh, when I saw that, I was like, okay, yeah, why well, I'm not I'm not gonna go. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, keep coming out, especially for these big games against in-state rivals. It's really encouraging and it really helps, even though they lost um, to Texas. But it clearly helped against Tech um, and. Uh, that's what that's what the fans are for to you know bring a bring a good environment and and getting that win against Tech was was big because it started the week off right because you don't know if you lose that game on Tuesday you don't know how it's going to go on Saturday and that you risk going zero and two at that point in the week which we've talked about on the show is just a big no no you can afford split in the week yep. you cannot go zero and two and that's what TCU did with the win uh, against the Red Raiders so props for them to doing that yeah Micah Peavy four for four from downtown that's yeah. uh career high that was crazy yeah he was i mean you know had one of the best games i've seen micah pv have it was it was pretty pretty awesome true revenge game for him yeah uh, even though he only played there for a year yeah he he said after the game he's like it didn't really feel like i ever was there like it just (laughs) felt like my whole career's been at tcu and that's good that's good to hear yeah fair enough fair enough uh, but yeah, things did not go so great for them on Saturday. They lost to Texas, seventy-seven to sixty-six, despite you know the horns down shirts that Barstool TCU uh, 
distributed, I think like 500 of them. Yep, you were in the student section. Did I you was. get one? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I grabbed one when we were uh, waiting outside in the long, long line around the uh, athletic facility. Yeah, so how early did you get there? I got there around 1045. Oh, wow. um, yeah, I got there around 1045, and Oof. we were backed up like crazy already. Um, the game started at 1, folks. Yeah, yeah game started at 1, <laughs> but they did let us in at 1130, which yeah. was nice. See, I, I got to get there at like 12, you know, just uh, through the media room and, you know. But, um, yeah, so it was a packed atmosphere um, there, and unfortunately TCU did not uh, deliver to get the win in the final conference matchup between TCU and Texas. It was also a pretty um, significant night for, for Kenrich Williams. They retired his jersey. He became the fifth player in TCU men's basketball to have their jersey retired. Uh, I thought that was pretty cool. You know, Desmond Bain was there, LaDainian Tomlinson, Kurt Thomas. Um, a lot of TCU greats were there to um, celebrate Kenrich, but tough loss uh, against Texas. Yeah, it was it was a tough game, and, and I think one thing that was surprising, at least for me to start, was that TCU got off to a really good start. They held Texas to no points after the opening three minutes. Um, Emmanuel Miller nailed an opening three, and then Avery Anderson had a quick seven points. So it was a great start. And then all of a sudden, Texas, I, I it's not like Texas turned it on, but they were always hanging in the game. And that's the thing is that even though this Texas team may not be, you know, ranked or thought of like like crazy, and maybe there's some questions about their head coaching and things like that, but they're a team that has experience. And that experience helped them not let the crowd get the better of them. I think because especially playing at the Schulmeyer, that's something that it's really hard for opposing teams to not feed into and not have that you know kind of you know to 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 really not have that throw them off course was huge. Yeah, and I guess uh, my theory is with like environments affecting opposing teams. For Texas, I feel like it might be a little less so. Uh, people come out and to Texas games all the time. Uh, they're they're used to it. Whether or not they like the horns down or not is a different question. But they're used to loud environments, uh, especially at TCU. Uh, Tech, on the other hand, is not you know everyone's biggest rival. So that's that's one thing. But yeah, Texas Texas did a good job of just keeping composure. Uh, you know, keeping in the game. I mean, they had, what, an 11-point lead Mm -hmm. uh, at the half, so they clearly clawed their way back pretty nicely. But uh, the key to the game, obviously, was those last three and change minutes where Max Aismas went on a 13-2 run all on his own. Um, Aismas, obviously, for any college basketball fans that are familiar, has been in the spotlight for quite some time. He was on that Oral Roberts team that uh, beat Ohio State in the 2021 March Madness tournament. Uh, when they went on their little run and almost made it to the Sweet 16 as a 15 seed. They were the team that opened up the floodgates of 15 and 16 seeds winning the last couple of years because that was not a thing that was uh, that was like a once-every-three-year occurrence. But he was on that team. He was on last year's Oral Roberts team, which was pretty good. Uh, and then he transferred to Texas for his last season. And he's been really good, but he really um, made his statement that those last three-and-a-half minutes where, I mean, Emmanuel Miller ties it up at 64, and then TCU scores two more points, and Max Aismas scores thirteen, and that's the game. And it was really, it was really just shocking. I think it was a shock to the system yeah. uh, for for me watching and for everyone in the building. It just was, um, it was so loud when they tied it up, and then immediately it was gone. Yeah, it was very weird. It just was such a 
sudden change in momentum. And yeah, they were able to keep him at bay for most of the game. And then he just went into a different gear in that in those, those last few minutes. Another thing, too, was the full court pressure that Texas the Texas guards were playing on TCU. Uh, Rodney Terry said that was kind of something that they wanted to they, they saw as like a weakness of TCU. He said, look, their guards are good, but they don't handle pressure very well. Mm-hmm. And honestly, they didn't handle it very well at all. I mean, a lot of turnovers and the half-court offense looked a little shaky once again. So it's what I'm Iowa interest- State did. Yep, that's exactly what Iowa State did. So I'm interested to see if teams are going to kind of learn from Texas and Iowa State and keep doing that. How does TCU adjust? or if they adjust, because to be honest, Avery Anderson and Jameer Nelson are kind of the only guys that can are like elite ball handlers on yeah. this team. So that'll be interesting to see how they adjust to that. Yeah, it's it's one of those things, and, and um, I've been saying this all season with TCU basketball, it's, it's, it's not to just continue harping on it, but it's been an issue, and it's, it's the in-game adjustments that I, I feel like TCU basketball fails to make. Um, especially when we're playing away, if we get, you know, because TCU is very susceptible to to slow starts and things like that. And if if the Frogs get, you know, if, if the Frogs fall behind quickly and things aren't working, I don't feel like they're able to make adjustments within the first half. It, it takes until halftime to fully regroup, you know, sit down, talk about it, then come out, and it looks like a completely different team. It's, it's something that I want to see the team – you know, get quicker at doing. Obviously, they're they're trying to make adjustments. It's not like Jamie Dixon sitting here like, oh, you know, here's Same the thing. here's a full court press, and you know, I guess we'll just wait till halftime. You know, obviously they're 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 trying to make adjustments. It's just we're not really seeing the fruits of that labor yet, and yeah, it's 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 definitely a bit concerning because again, if TCU is unable to really be potent on the fast breaks. Um, they they really can become one dimensional sometimes, especially when they can't make adjustments. Yeah, rebounding was another thing yes. that was really bad for TCU. Texas had so many second chance opportunities, uh, and Dylan DeSue had a really solid game for Texas. He kind of kept them afloat until the and then Asmus was able to you know kind of run things uh, the final few minutes. But yeah, rebounding had to be better for TCU. I just I feel like there's way too many chances where Texas had it two or three chances to score. Yeah, some of the key moments were, were exactly like that, where TCU is in it, they get a big stop, can't get the board, and then Texas ends up scoring on that possession. And where you had a shot to maybe tie it or take the lead, now Texas has made it a two possession game, and now you're clawing and having to climb an even higher mountain uh, than you would have had to. I guess we can pivot now because uh, TCU does not play tomorrow. Uh, a little off off by yeah. week, so yeah. that's good after I think a loss like that to you know gather your bearings, especially because they're going into Ames, the team that did what Texas did first to TCU. Uh, now you're gonna you would like to think that uh, if you're an Iowa State fan that you're trying to replicate what you did, uh, even though I guess getting like 20 turnovers in three minutes uh, would be very <laughs> difficult uh, to do. But it's certainly something that they're going to try and replicate. Uh, how does TCU adjust? I feel like we've been talking about that. And, and how do they go into Ames, which is a very tough place to play, and, and pull out a victory? Because uh, if they lose that game, they're at 500 in a conference yep. in a blink of an eye. It's crazy. It's it's the Big 12. Uh, and you know Iowa State's coming off a heartbreaking loss to Baylor. 
Uh, I, I don't know if, who they play during the week, um, but yeah, the, Texas. They play Texas. Okay. Um, so yeah, this. I mean, this is going to be a really good matchup here, and uh, obviously TCU is going to clean up the turnovers. You would think. I mean, certainly. It'd be very hard to top. I sure, I sure hope we clean up the yeah. turnovers. That was ridiculous. Yeah, maybe this time we'll get like twenty six or no. Just, no, we're. Uh, I'm, I'm only joking. But we're just looking for improvement. Yes, yeah. just looking for improvement and trying to throw Keyshawn Gilbert uh, and Curtis Jones out of the, keep them off balance and out of the passing lanes. Maybe not as predictable with our their passes yeah that that and i think the biggest storyline coming into this tcu iowa state game is tame and lipsy's going to be back playing he wasn't here when iowa state came to fort worth and handled tcu fairly nicely um i think that's going to be a massive storyline with him being there how does tcu adjust to him on the court um he's their second he, he, he's averaging the second most points per game with 13.6 behind Keyshawn Gilbert, who is averaging 14.2. Um, two really, really good guards. Um, and again, TCU played just against Gilbert last time, and, and, they, they, and the Cyclones took care of business pretty swiftly. Um, and Seth, you said it as well, um, and I'm just going to keep going back to it, is playing where, where what's the stadium called um hilton coliseum that's not an easy place to go by any means um it's it's this is just the big 12 in a nutshell it it, it just will not get any easier um until after iowa state when i think tcu has a chance to go on a nice run but what's y'all's um what do y'all think is the toughest place to play in the conference uh kansas <clears throat> other than i guess that's the easy answer other than fog allen um, I mean, I feel I, I'm interested to see because I have not seen a road or a home BYU game in this conference. I'm curious. Oh, yeah. I feel like that could be a really tough. I've, I've heard that it's a pretty tough atmosphere to win in, but um, actually, I did. I did see BYU at home versus Texas, and okay. yeah, that that stadium was pretty loud. I feel like that could be a very tough place to win in. Um, Baylor, I think, is always hard but it's it's they show up but they yeah that's the thing they they show up whenever um TCU's in town um Houston we haven't we haven't experienced Houston um but I'd imagine that Houston's probably a pretty dang tough place to go especially when they're one of the premier programs in the country as well um but I'm I'm curious to see what Ames has in store I I I feel like that place is going to be rocking what would you say Seth uh I would I mean Kansas is yeah. up there. Um, I think it might be Iowa State. Yeah. Um, the worst is Oklahoma State, and that's not a knock on the team. That's yeah. A, that's just a knock on their mood towards basketball yeah. as a whole. Yeah. Uh, great athletic department. Baseball and football are awesome for them, but they don't <laughs> care. I, even, even though they, you know, they have they produce Kate Cunningham. That is. Uh, yeah. And but uh, I think Oklahoma State's the worst, and I'm going to go Iowa State second because they're we're just playing for second at this point. Yeah. Um, did you guys see Allen Fieldhouse this weekend against Houston? Like they were oh, yeah. jumping, man. That yeah. was a really in like insane atmosphere. It's like the sixth man. It just mm-hmm. it's it's un 
stoppable. It's so hard to win there. It makes me wonder how TCU beat them there last year at all. By yeah. like 20. Yeah. I mean, that, that that was crazy. And, and we almost their, beat them this year. That's their last home loss. They haven't lost at home since. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh, dang. It's such a weird outlier. Like, it, you know, they just, Bill Self, they just don't lose there. And then they lost by 20 to TCU. Like, on, I remember watching that game. Like, what is, is happening? Yeah. Yeah, all of Kansas's uh, losses this year are either neutral set or on the road okay yeah um so so oh sorry um looking at the schedule i'm curious to hear what you guys have to think because it's it'll have been a full week before tcu goes to iowa and plays this game on on saturday after that though the, the the schedule kind of like evens out a little bit we you know tcu's had a really tough first half of conference play what do you guys think of the second half of conference play, what do you guys want to see from TCU as, as we get into, I guess, the latter end or, or re- really the final month of Big 12 play? You got to you gotta pick up the uh, – they're not easy, but you got to pick up the ones that are like low-hanging fruit. So that's West Virginia at home, that's Cincinnati mm-hmm. at home, and that's UCF at home. Those three home games are not must-win, but they're, they're games that you expect to win as a, as a conference contender. Uh, but, you know – you, there's some losses in there. Tough road games: Kansas State, yep. uh, Tech, and uh, BYU, all on the road. And West Virginia, even though they're they're not having a down year, but uh, they like basketball. Yeah. Up in uh, where are they? Morgantown. Morgantown. Yeah, Morgantown. Morgantown. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's yeah. Pick up wins against the, those three home games is what I'm looking for. Yeah, uh, and and while it is going to be tough to win on the road against Kansas State, they have been struggling like mightily. They've lost four in a row. So, assuming that trend continues, or if even if they win one game, or you know, it's that that's something where I I could see TC winning. You just hope that like ten wins. I think ten is like the goal in in this conference. I mean, or or nine. I I would say ten though. Ten's the goal, and I think TC could do that. Um, what do you guys do? You guys think that? They could do that. Well, that's just four more, right? Yeah. I mean, well, they're five I, and oh, four. Sorry, sorry, five more, yeah. Ten or eleven? Yeah, I, I would say we we probably drop I, I, I I'm just kind of predicting here. I would imagine we drop one of the home games. Um probably Baylor. Um Yeah. I, I, I definitely think it's possible. It's it's definitely possible and reachable. Um, but we're I, I think TCU's gonna end up with ten or eleven wins. Yeah. Which where where they've been like at the eight range like the last couple years One, right nine games the last two I think nine okay nine and nine yeah, yeah. they they've fallen out of the top twenty five uh, which it, they seem to play be- they seem to play better when they're not ranked so yeah <laughs> like seriously. they they get ranked inside the top twenty five and then they just immediately fall out so. I found that strange because like their one win this week was arguably better than their loss yeah, yeah. and and then. I don't know. To me, like Texas Tech lost both. I know they were 15, but they lost both games, and yeah. they're still, you know, they're at 23. BYU's at 21. Uh, Iowa State dropped a couple, but that's yeah. that, that's also the thing, Seth, and and we mentioned it on last week's episode, right? Heading into this past week, obviously, you know, going two and zero would be great, but let's be honest with ourselves, one one and one would be. You know, probably realistic, and I I have to say I think the win over number fifteen Texas Tech, it it does it it's better than the loss at Texas is worse if that makes sense. You know, it's like yeah the the loss at Texas 
you never want to lose to, lose to Texas for more of the emotional and rivalry reasons, but the win over Texas Tech means more on the season and in terms of seeding for the tournament and, and conference play and things like that. Um, I think that was one thing that team that, that fans were maybe maybe grappling with throughout this week goes, oh man, if we drop a game, do we want to lose to a ranked team or do we want to just, you know, or lose to Texas, right? And fortunately, we, we got the win over the ranked team, but couldn't do it against Texas. But Yeah, I almost wonder if, if the games were flo- or switched, would we still be ranked because, like, the more recent game yeah, was the win? That probably is the <laughs> yeah. case. Like, that probably if, is if how that works. we lost to Texas, yeah, anyways, it, it doesn't matter too much because as long as TC takes care of business, I mean, yeah. they'll, they'll be just fine. Uh, but that'll wrap things up for our men's basketball segment. When we come back, we're going to be talking about the NBA. It's been a little while since we brought that up, so we're going to talk about all-star trade deadline line and some mvp talk right here on ktcu the choice hey guys let's play some video games this new dad plays video games with his sons but the challenge feels like he's lifting a metric ton so many buttons his avatar just stares at the walls twists and turns and somehow falls help me he's tangled up in the controller's cord i just don't understand this crazy digital world crazy crazy digital world heroes and worlds but the love from his kids is totally apparent See, you don't have to be perfect to be the perfect parent. You should have just played catch. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Thousands of siblings in foster care will take you just as you are. For more information on how you can adopt, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. I'm Paul George of the Indiana Pacers. When I was six, I had one thing on my mind. When I was six, my days were spent playing basketball every chance I could. When I was six, my dream was to make it to the NBA. When I was six, my mom had a stroke. So I want you to learn the signs of a stroke fast. F-A-S-T. F, face drooping. A, arm weakness. S, speech difficulty. T, time to call 911 because the sooner they get to the hospital the sooner they'll get treatment and that can make a remarkable difference in their recovery i'm paul george protect the ones you love spot a stroke f-a-s-t fast life is why visit strokeassociation.org brought to you by the american stroke association and the ad council Have you noticed bad behavior has become normalized at interscholastic athletic events? Some fans seem angry. They lack civility toward one another. Some even get aggressive and unruly. Time out! What is going on? This has to stop. Let's not forget, school sports aren't just about winning. And they're definitely not an excuse to take your frustrations out on the official or the opponent. They're about teaching lessons like perseverance, respect, and empathy so students can learn and grow as people, not just as players. We all have a role to play in setting a good example for our students and teaching them these important values. So fans, it's time to step up your game and behave positively at Interscholastic Athletic Events in Texas. 
This message presented by the UIL and the Texas High School Athletic Directors Association. Welcome back to Riff Ram Review right here on 88.7 The Choice. Your choice for college radio, Zion Trammell, Seth Dowdle, and Ian Napetian here as we are going to get into our NBA talk as the All-Star Game is right around the corner. We'll, we'll start off with that. Um, interesting that the All-Star Game has been s- such an interesting topic of discussion of changing the format, changing rules, what whatnot. This year, it's just your traditional West versus East. And I think they're going with like pretty d- traditional jerseys as well, which is pretty nice. Um, so the starters for the West, you got Luka, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, KD, LeBron, and Jokic in the East. Uh Tyrese Halliburton, Damian Lillard, Jason Tatum, Giannis, and Embiid. I thought that Jalen Brunson should have started over uh, Lillard, but he did make the reserves. Um, Kind of a big standout for me that I noticed is that Trey Young was left off of the all-star list here as he's averaging 27 points per game and 11 assists, and uh, he's not in the all-star game. Um, Kind of interesting. I mean, Julius Randle's hurt, so maybe he'll replace him, but... Did you guys get a chance to to catch up on the All Star uh, updates? Yeah, I mean, I've I've just been kind of waiting to see the 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 starters and things like that. Um, I think I am just as shocked as everybody else that Doc Rivers is one of the coaches. Yes, um, that kind of came out of left field. Um, not really sure what to make of it or why. Um, yeah, he did. Yeah. He, he himself said, I don't deserve to do this. Like, what are you, I've been the coach for the Bucks for like a week. <laughs> like, I don't know. I think that was kind of weird. Yeah, it's just, just kind of interesting. But I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that the NBA is going back to just the standard East West. I, I, I prefer that. I think that's, I, at least growing up watching baseball, all star games, and things like that. Um, and, you know, just like the Pro Bowl, it's natural to have the, the conferences go against each other. Yeah. Um, instead of having it, you know, being like a drafting, you know, drafting your team and having the captain, which I think was fine, but just keeping it traditional like East and West, I, 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 I really enjoy that. I'm just sad that uh, we're not going to have that moment that happened. Was it last year when KD refused to draft Harden? During the All Star Draft, I think it was a couple years ago. That was uh, hilarious. Yeah, that was pretty funny. the 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 draft is gone. I will miss that a little bit. LeBron just dominating every year because he actually drafts well. And meanwhile, Giannis would draft Chris Middleton as his first, you know, teammate. Like, uh, dude, what are we doing? Yeah, and when it it was like he didn't uh, Harden draft uh, Rudy Gobert instead of James Harden. Yeah. Or sorry, Durant. Yeah, yeah. he drafted. <laughs> yeah, and then the the entire like everybody knew like you're not slick, buddy. Um, yeah, and then on the west side on, on the Western Conference, I thought it was interesting. I mean, Carl Anthony Towns made it. He's averaging 22 and a half points per game, uh, close to nine rebounds. But Demontis Sabonis is having a tremendous season for Sacramento. And I know he's not like the flashiest player and probably not the best for the all-star game, but he's averaging 20 points per game, 13 rebounds and eight assists. So for a center that I believe is leading the NBA in rebounds. And then on top of that, eight assists per game. I don't know. I I feel like Sabonis deserved a little bit of credit there. Uh, What, what's interesting though, I also noticed is that Steph Curry's coming off the bench. Yeah. 
when was the last time we saw that? Like times are changing it's been a in the while. NBA. It's yeah. it's been a long time, and it's not like he. It's like oh, maybe he should have been. Like no, Shea and Luca have far and away been the two best guards in the in the West. So it's kind of a changing of the guard there. Yeah, it's. I mean, I I, I feel like what like no no matter the sport that you you know that that you grew up watching, whether it's football, baseball, basketball, whatever, we're we're at that stage where we are seeing. The players that we used to watch as kids leave, you know, leave, leaving their sport, right? Um, and just like you said, it's a changing of the guard, passing of the torch. It's kind of sad, um, but exciting as as well that there's other guys, fill, you know, coming in and filling the, these these spots of these highly regarded players, um, you know. But but yeah, I mean, I I can't even remember the last time Steph Curry came off the bench for an All Star game. Yeah, it's been a long time. Yeah, I got a couple snubs. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm here. Let's All right, look. Tony Snell. Oh my so, god! <laughs> so Tony, you see, has been one of the, <laughs> has been one of the best players uh, in the Cancun League for quite some time. And Is he even on a team, <laughs> Tony Snell remains without an NBA contract as deadline passes two days ago on Yahoo Sports. <laughs> but he's he's hooping he in Ca- two years ago. He's hooping in Cancun. Other snubs uh, include our boy Kenrich Williams. You know, if you're getting your jersey retired, you should be in the All Star game. Um, that's a hot take. <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's definitely interesting. Uh, I honestly think Desmond Bain, if he had stayed healthy, yeah. could have had a real good shot at making the All Star game. I agree. Um, who else? That was it. I, oh, just Tony it? Snell and uh, yeah. Because yeah. have you seen his Cancun highlights? I have not seen his Cancun highlights, but they're probably just as good as Dax right now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Aiden McConnell is, is uh, ah, d- just throwing ah, a reception ah, in the Cancun League too. Uh, that that was a uh, knife in the chest. I'm so sorry. That I was, had to that do was that. great though. I had that to do that. Was, that was they great. don't play in the same league. Yeah, <laughs> that was great. Um, basketball is so much different than football. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> sorry, guys. I'm sorry. Man. Two different sides of the beach, man. And meanwhile, CD's catching passes from Jalen Hurts in the Pro Bowl, and that just <laughs> killed me. Like, oh, God, this is not fun. But, no, I have not seen his Cancun highlights. No, no one has. No one has. Have yeah. you, have, in all seriousness, though, have you seen those, like, tweets of, like, it's mad, and then it's like, look, the Eagles have have beaten yeah. have beaten the Packers in the Cancun Divisional Round. God. Yeah, it's hilarious. Uh, anyway, steering away from the NFL, we're, we're my bad. That's my bad. next. My bad. No, that, that's that's on me. No, that was <laughs> hilarious. Um, let's talk a little bit about the MVP talk because I think uh, talks about the MVP for basketball is probably the most discombobulated, just random and and weird. I just don't get the criteria. I, I think it's changed a lot, and now this year they implemented well, we have to play sixty-seven games. And uh, you have to meet that threshold to be eligible for, like, All-NBA, MVP, and Joel Embiid is not going to get there. And he's had a tremendous season, and he's not eligible to win MVP. Now, Ian, it sounds like you have some strong opinions about this yeah i i it's it's less about Embiid and players falling out of eligibility i guess and it's just more about the rules um i don't really know how you guys feel so i'm 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 open to hearing what you guys have to say especially you zine because because you watch basketball a lot more than i do um but yeah you know the 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 new rule that players have to play in at least 60 in at least 65 games which which is just under 80 percent of the 82 regular season games um that's something new that the nba implemented this year and you know i mean there's there's parts of it that i like and there's parts of it that i think are tough right i mean 
I I I sympathize with the players in saying, look, for us, the most important thing is that we're ready for the playoffs. Whether that means I'm in uh, playing 65 games or not, you want your team to get into the playoffs, right? And and I I understand that. I totally get that. But at the same time, and and I've kind of heard this argument, you know, and I don't know, I don't want to say that it's 100%, you know, like like equitable, but you know, if I miss 20% of my of, of my job in a year, I'm going to get fired. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's it's like these guys get paid millions and millions of dollars. It, it's not like the old NBA where you're playing at 8 p.m. tip-off on the West Coast and then you hop on a raggedy old plane and go to Florida and then you're playing at 6 p.m. the next day. No, you got rest. You have state-of-the-art technology and equipment to get yourself ready. And I get it. Injuries happen, and that's fine, but that's a part of the game. And if that means that you get hurt and you and, and you can't finish the season to, to the point where you're eligible for being MVP— then so be it because being MVP and having some of these awards means that you had to play the length of the season to earn that, you know, or else someone could, you know, someone could have five great games, be an absolute ridiculous shooter and feel that they're at the same level. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I know those examples aren't, aren't the best, but I'm, I'm kind of siding with the NBA in these rules because also if you're a fan wanting to go watch the Lakers and LeBron doesn't play, it's like, look, I get LeBron doesn't have to play for anybody. I understand that. But it's also these 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 tickets are mad expensive. We know because we've, we've been trying to get tickets to go watch the Mavs sometimes, and you're just like, dude, it's ridiculously expensive. And I don't even know if if some of the guys are going to be playing that. I want to go see, you know? Yeah. Um, so that that's just my my initial take. I don't know if the NBA is going to want to have to shorten the season and things like that. I, I don't think that's the right answer. Um, but I I have to say that I I agree with these MVP rules. And as hard as that might be for some of these players, I think it's only fair. Yeah, I have zero thoughts about the MVP race. Ian <laughs> had I had very little thoughts. Ian summed them all up. I uh, I. I'm looking at the Mavericks right now sucking, so that's kind of also my... Uh, <laughs> Are they losing right now? Yeah, yeah. More like the Badricks, you know, if you know what I'm talking about. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I agree with Ian. If you want to show up to work, you can get the accolade. But if if I were not to show up for this show, I would not win Best Producer <laughs> of the Podcast Year Award if I, only, if I miss, like, five shows in a row or whatever. Because... Um, not like if I tore my ACL, that's a different story. Yeah. Uh, and I know he's getting surgery. Joel Embiid is not the not the example here. Yeah. Uh, but in pr- in in practice, I feel like they make the rules make sense. Yeah. Yeah, I I do think it makes sense because it it's it's about time the NBA starts to take some action as far as encouraging players to play more games. And um, yeah, I mean, like I I understand not playing every single game, and I, I don't think any player should play every single game because mm-hmm. NBA is a tough sport and uh when you're playing upwards to you know close to 40 minutes a night it's you know of, of go 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 it's it's a lot so and especially for guys that are like prone to injuries like the you know Chris Depps Porzingis Anthony Davis uh you know those kind of guys I understand but yeah it's like if you're not if you're going to complain that, oh, I'm not winning MVP because it's like, well, you know, the guys that did show up deserve to be in those conversations. Um, 
And so that'll be interesting to see, I think, is how will the MVP uh, race kind of change as the season goes on if players start to miss games? And uh, what will the criteria be? Um, because that's kind of something I've always been curious about. Is it record? Mm -hmm. Is it, you know, whatever uh, voter fatigue has a, plays a, a part in it? Um, because, you know, if, if the Mavericks don't finish with a great record, is Luka just going to be completely out of it because they didn't have a great record? So I'm interested to see how that plays out. Yeah, and and again, I'm, I'm, I, I try not to get, like, super analytical with, with this stuff because at the end of the day, it's just an MVP award. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I know that means a lot to some people, but it's, you, you know, it's, again, when, when I hear players say, look, we're focused on making the playoffs, then I always think about the NBA and say, look, right now you have 10 teams from either conference, and that's 66.6% of the league that has a chance to get yeah. into that you know, playoff bracket. And so by expanding, you know, having the plan, I, I, I understand that having the plan allows for some of these more bubble teams to have a chance at getting in, but by that expansion – that means that these guys have to play perhaps they don't have to play as many games to be in playoff contention right mm -hmm. so if i'm looking at the lakers or the jazz right the 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 jazz have played um 51 games so far so that means they have 29 left mm -hmm. if if my math's correct so if you're only if 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 at the very least you need to get ninth or 10th in the in the conference well shoot then yeah I understand why some of these guys aren't going to be playing all their games and why they say, I want to be ready for playoffs. Yeah. And so maybe this rule is because of the playoff picture and how how expanded it's become that, that it's less valuable to work towards a playoff berth because it's a lot more achievable. Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense. No, but. it does make sense. I think the play-in tournament should just be abolished, if I'm being completely honest. Just having 10 teams... Uh, you look at yeah Utah is the Jazz are not a playoff team. No. I'm sorry they you know yes they're 25 and 26 but I mean realistically if they go up against the Thunder they're gonna get their butts whooped. It's, and it's it's even worse in the Eastern Conference yeah. if Brooklyn somehow makes it you know and and yes you have to win games it's you know in the play in to get mm -hmm. to wherever but. To me, it's just like extra games, and the NBA doesn't need extra games. Uh, people get a little tired of the NBA once even playoffs roll around. It's like best of seven series. I've always said that those should, you know, the first couple rounds should be shortened to best yeah. of five. Yeah. Because people, by the time the finals gets around, it's like, oh my gosh, more basketball. So just adding a play in tournament with more games, it's, I think it's just the NBA can get a little oversaturated. So I think. By either shrinking the season could be a possibility. I would be okay with it personally. And then also sh putting it back to eight teams. Yeah. But I also can appreciate the NBA because they can they take a lot of risks. They, they do a lot of things differently. Uh, whereas other sports, um, I'm going to say it like the MLB keeps it very you know, traditional and like that, the NBA tries to appeal to a bunch of different audiences mm -hmm. and they do a pretty good job of it. Uh, sometimes they're going to do things that just don't work out and that's fine. Other things are just a huge success. So, you know, we'll see how that plays out. Um, let's talk a little bit. I'll just talk briefly about the trade deadline because yeah. it is coming up here in a few days. Uh, Seth, 
I, I don't know if you've been keeping up with like rumors and whatnot, but are for the Dallas Mavericks in particular, they've been a team that have has come up consistently in trade talks. Do you do you want them to make a trade? Uh, where do you think they should address? Uh, do you have any thoughts there? Well, you know, defense is always very hard to do in the NBA, and you can always add more defense. I'm going to be completely honest that I uh, am not the most knowledgeable source on Mavericks basketball, but I will say this. Uh, the wings, If in back, I don't know if, this, if I'm getting my basketball terminology correct here, the wings yeah. are not good at making baskets. They are the, on the Mavericks? Yes. Yeah, no. Uh, Grant Williams has been... Abysmal. Uh, horrible. Derek Jones has been okay, but not very consistent. Um, I think Josh Green is your best wing right now. Um, and Tim Hardaway's a guard, in my opinion. So, you know. Uh, so I could totally see him dealing one of those guys or trying to improve in that area at the very least. Yeah, they, they've been linked to Kyle Kuzma with the Wizards. Uh, I saw that. Doesn't necessarily help with your defensive uh, problems. It more so helps with offense, but... I don't know. I'd be very. I'd be excited about it. P.J. Washington was included in that report that I saw. Yes. With Kuzma. Yes. P.J. Washington would, I think, be an excellent addition. Um, kind of a stretch four. Uh, could play good defense. Rebounds pretty well. Uh, I would be excited about that. Andrew Wiggins too. I saw his name popping up around the Mavs recently. Yeah. Um, I don't know how open. Like, like how much he would add, but. Um, it, it, he would help tremendously on on the defensive yeah. end, and offense is just a prayer because mm-hmm. he's been struggling this yeah. year. But you know, defense would be huge. Yeah, um, Mavericks are are not short on offense, so we could see that. We could see a reunion with Dorian Finney-Smith. Fingers crossed. We'll see. Um, but yeah, I think this is going to be a pretty quiet trade deadline. We've kind of saw the big one with Pascal Siakam being dealt to Indiana. Uh, and I think there was one other that I cannot remember, but that was kind of the big trade. I, I don't imagine that there's going to be something huge. You know, Zach Levine's out for the year, so he's not going to get traded. Uh, maybe Chicago makes makes a move with one of those guys, but uh, we'll see. Uh, that'll wrap things up, though, for our NBA talk. When we come back, we're going to be talking about the Super Bowl and our predictions there right here on Riff Ram Review on 88.7 The Choice. Why is Connor having trouble focusing in school? Having trouble finding Connor's middle school? Would you like directions? No, why is Connor having trouble focusing in school? Finding lowest airfare to Istanbul. No, I'm, I'm tired of fighting with him over homework. Home walk restaurant, need a review? No, I need help. He's very smart, but his mind wanders. He's disorganized. I think I understand. Oh, good. Finding best potatoes for french fries. No! Russet, fingerling, Yukon gold. Why don't you understand me? Sorry, I was trying to show how Connor feels every day. Frustrating, isn't it? Redirecting to understood.org. For the one in five kids with learning and attention issues, this is what life can feel like. Explore understood.org, a free online resource about learning and attention issues designed to help your child thrive in school and in life. Understood.org, because understanding is everything. Brought to you by understood.org and the Ad Council. I want to thank my mommy for loving me so much, for taking me out to the park, for reading me books, for taking Taking me to the doctor when I broke my foot in ballet rehearsal, for leaving me alone when I wanted to be alone. 
And, and now, as a grown-up, I'm thankful for being able to take care of you, my dear mom, for having the chance to take you to the park, for reading you those books we enjoy so much, for being able to take you to your therapies after you twisted your ankle, for understanding that sometimes you simply want to be alone. Roles change without us noticing. And in your new role, we help you help. Visit aarp.org caregiving to get practical health and wellness tips to provide even better care for your loved one. Remember, visit aarp.org caregiving. AARP, we help you help. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Dave, what are you doing? Just sending a gift to Dave2037. Who? Me in the future. I save a little money from every paycheck as a gift to Dave2037, so he can spend it on things like anti-gravity boots or a hologram Doberman. Something cool like that. I think Dave2037 deserves it. He worked hard. What are you getting Steve2037? I guess I was thinking Steve2037 would just fend for himself. Well, alright. But don't expect to be borrowing my anti-gravity boots. You want to have money in your future? You gotta start saving now. Putting some money from every paycheck into a savings account or contributing to your 401k can make a big difference later. Put away a few bucks, feel like a million bucks. For free ideas and easy ways to save, go to feedthepig.org. That's feedthepig.org. Hey, let's just hope Steve2037 doesn't get his hands on a cold time machine because he is going to come back here and knock some sense into you. This message brought to you by the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants and the Ad Council. Today, my new dad threw a barbecue. I burnt everything. Ah! And then we played catch. I broke Mr. Lewis's window. And then, somehow, my hand. My hand! And then my dad even let me drive his car. The hospital's on the right! It was a rough day. It was a great day. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Thousands of kids in foster care will take you just as you are. For more information on how you can adopt, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. Hi, Mom. Is Claire's birthday party today? Me again, Mom. Where did I put my history book? Hi. Sorry, forgot one last thing. Sometimes it's hard to concentrate. At school, I start looking out the window, and then I forget what I was supposed to be thinking about. I know it seems like I don't care, but I do. It's just difficult for me. Love you, Mom. Bye. Join parents and experts at understood.org, a free online resource about learning and attention issues to help your child thrive. Brought to you by understood.org and the Ad Council. Yo! Big Shaq, the one and only. Man's not hot. Never hot. Boom! Welcome back to Riff Ram Review right here on 88.7 The Choice. Your choice for college radio. My name's Ian Apishan. Alongside me is Zion Trammell and Seth Daddle. As we move into the final segment of tonight's show, um, we're going to be talking about the Super Bowl. We we talked a little bit about men's basketball for TCU. Uh, we got into some NBA, which, man, we have not touched for a hot minute. But now it's time to preview the Super Bowl between the Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers, which will be held in Las Vegas, Nevada. Oh, man, that, that music's going to be playing there, too, probably. Um, but this is a rematch of the 2019-2020 season, um, uh, a Super Bowl from the 19—sorry, from the 2019-2020 to season. Excuse me, not 1920. <laughs> 1912. Um, when the Chiefs won 31-20 to over the Niners, they scored 24, 21 points in the fourth quarter. Um, 
that was a pretty crazy Super Bowl. Um, but yeah, this is a rematch. A completely new San Francisco team, um, obviously with Brock Purdy um, at quarterback. What do you guys think about this Super Bowl, the matchups, how we got here? Tell me your guys' uh, first first kind of instincts. I can tell you what song we'll be playing. Not that one. Crap. <laughs> I don't have it. Never mind. All right. I screwed that one up. Well, tell me what song it is. It would be the, the, it would be the CBS theme song. Oh, yes. I accidentally almost played it. Oh, wait. The, I was about, that was the Fallout Boy NBC one that I accidentally oh, okay, pressed. Okay. So that song will not be playing. Thank you, Lord, that that song will not be playing <laughs> at the Super Bowl. Um, who's singing the national anthem? Whoever's singing that will be that will, that will be played. Oh, I forgot who. Yeah. Chris Stapleton last year was awesome. I think he could. I, I would love to hear him. Who do is it every singing time. the national anthem in Super Bowl 58? <laughs> We've already. This is an unhinged segment. I've made three producer mess ups. Ariba. Uh, right. Oh, Reba. No way. Reba. No let's, let's go. We were just talking about how, <laughs> how, how we love Reba. Yeah, right, that's, that's awesome. That's the only thing I care about for this Super Bowl. I'm yeah. dipping after that. Hey, that's awesome. I know. Uh, what I think about it, I like the matchup. I think it'll be a good football game, um, which, you know is entertaining and that's good uh even though a lot of people in america don't like these two teams uh but i'm just looking for a good good little football game uh, interested to see how kansas city's defense handles um the niners in space is my biggest yeah. question because that's like if if you get debo or Ayuk or mccaffrey especially in space it's over, and yeah. that's kind of what the Lions uh, found themselves. Even, heck, Brock Purdy in space is, mm-hmm. is, is very oh, yeah. dangerous. He uh, can run. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm interested to see how they do that because I've been impressed by the Chiefs' defense all year long. Um, they've been up to the task this entire postseason. Can they do it one more time? Yeah. Um, sorry. No, was, no, you're good. I was uh, like, you zoned out for yeah, a second. <laughs> I, I did. Uh, yeah, I'm excited for this, for this Super Bowl. I think it's, yeah, it, it could be a lose-lose for, for America. You know, depending on the, which which side you're on, or you know, if you're on any side for 49ers or Chiefs, uh, yeah. I mean, the I, what I'm curious to see is how well will the 49ers, or, or I'm sorry, the Chiefs, able to protect Patrick Mahomes because the one loss that the Chiefs have had in the Super Bowl was against Tom Brady in, in Tampa Bay, and the big thing I remember from that game was the Tampa Bay pass rush just got to Patrick Mahomes yep. the entire game. Yeah. And he's done a really good job against the blitz, so you can't really blitz him all the time. Uh, but how will, you know, the they handle Nick Bosa and those other interior linemen is, I think, going to play a pretty big factor. And then, yeah, like Seth said, holding the 49ers uh, receivers and running backs in space will be a big thing, keeping them in front. Yeah, it, it's funny you mentioned that Super Bowl with the Bucks because that was uh... – that was the Devin White and Levante David uh, middle linebacker like like master class. master class. Their, that was their ridiculous. mud cards after that game yeah. were exquisite. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's you know again. I I feel like every time Patrick Mahomes and this pains me to say it, but <laughs> every time Patrick Mahomes is is dealt another bad hand with receivers going down or receivers dropping passes or the O line not being as protective as it could be, he finds a way to 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 flip that script um he's much he's he's much improved and much better on the run than i think people give him credit for um you know granted it uh, it, you know and and it helps to obviously extend the play um and and try to get your guys open downfield but 
Yeah, I'm, I'm really curious to see what happens. I mean, this this Niners defense just it's it's it just looks ridiculous and they haven't really shown any signs of slowing down at all this season to be completely honest with you um so i'm interested to see how casey gets on against the against that defense then equally i mean brock purdy playing under the super bowl lights for the first time in his career we've seen a lot of great things from brock purdy he had a three or four week stretch this season where it just didn't didn't really go to plan but the Niners turned it around, and Brock Purdy looks really good again. Um, I I don't really know what I'm expecting in terms of a score. I feel like it could be a shootout, but I also feel like it could be a very defensive defensive game. Yeah, I mean, both these defenses have had pretty tremendous seasons, so I I kind of favor more of a defensive matchup here. But yeah, it just like everything that happens prior just all gets thrown out in the Super Bowl. And another thing too is like there's always that one guy, random player that just has like a massive game. Like, I remember when Odell was just gonna go for like 300 yards before he got hurt. Yep. I mean that you know. So it's it's gonna be interesting to see if there's that one guy that kind of makes the difference that you wouldn't normally expect. Maybe for San Francisco, it's Juwan Jennings. Yeah. Who knows. Maybe it's Kyle Juszczyk. Yeah. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. um, but it, Ronnie Bell. Yeah. It, it could be. It could be Ambry Thomas. Yeah. <laughs> I just pissed off so many 49ers fans by saying his name. They, they despise that, D dude. D. Winters. Yeah, D. Winters. It could be D. Winters. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That would um, be crazy. That would be so much fun if it was D. Winters. Yeah. It's—, it's It'll definitely be a good Super Bowl. I, like, like in terms of the game, I think it'll be a really enthralling contest. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I think this is the one Super Bowl in maybe a while that almost all of America just doesn't care for. Yeah. It's it's. And yet, it might be the most watched one exactly. ever. Exactly, yeah. and it probably will be. Because people are like, oh, you know, Taylor Swift, whatever, but then people are going to, you know, yeah. like a lot of Swifties are going to be tuning in. Uh, Usher, halftime performance. <laughs> oh, man. That is a choice uh, for 2024, that is. You know, not trying to disrespect him. But. Who said, who, how How far was he down the pecking order? How many people do you think said no, said no before, <laughs> before they got to Usher? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I'm really curious to see who they tried to get because Usher could not have been the first choice. There's no way. Um, yeah. Hmm. What's the first song he's is he gonna play? Is it gonna be? I barely is it know be, Usher yeah. songs on. Oh yeah, yeah, It'll, or, yeah. Or yeah. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it has it be, to be. Oh my gosh. Oh, that could be a good one. Yeah. Um, that's a good opener. You yeah. know, yeah, because like everyone's like, oh my gosh, it's Usher. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. my pick uh, for first song. I think what. Um, I know the lyrics, but it's like falling in love in the club. What is that one called? Some baby tonight. Yeah, that one. Yeah. The DJ's That one. That's a good one. Yeah, I'm. Ten years ago. Yeah, that's the thing. Ten years ago, I think. More than that. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe like fifteen. Yeah. But but should we get into score predictions? You guys want to hop straight into that? Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. Do it. All right, Zion. Let's start with you. What are your thoughts? Who who's Score prediction and Super Bowl MVP. Ooh, okay. So I didn't really think of a score until like maybe 30 seconds ago. <laughs> so I'm going to go with San Francisco 
to win this game. Um, I, I know that might pain some people to say. Uh, I know, and I'm betting against Mahomes, but it just it feels a little different this year. So I'm going to go San Francisco to win this game 24-20. to 20, And the Super Bowl MVP will be Christian McCaffrey. Okay. I'm going to go Chiefs 29, 49ers 25. That's random. Um, 20, wait, 29 what? To 25. Okay. Um, I'm rooting. There's going to be a couple safeties yeah, in there. how do we arrive at that score? A couple safeties. <laughs> uh, so the 49ers are going to open the game. They're going to be at 4 nothing oh. uh, with two safeties. But then Mahomes is going to drive down the field, and they're going to score two touchdowns and make it 14-4. to um, And eventually we end up at 29-25. to uh, that's got to be a scoregami of some sort. That, that, yeah. scores, that score's probably never happened before. And yeah. I'm going to Kansas City with the victory. And the Super Bowl MVP will be Chris Jones. Oh, yeah. I don't know why in my head I knew you were going to say that. I'm not sure why. I just I just did. Yeah, I'm, I, I hate both of these teams. <laughs> I can't stand either one. Um, but if there's one team I'd rather see win, this might come to people as a surprise, but I'd rather see the Chiefs win. Um, represent the yes. AFC West well, please. Um, make it, you know, keep keep that keep that s- status of being one heck of a hard division. They've been the only team that's yeah. really represented <laughs> you guys recently. Uh, um, so. I'm, I'm going Chiefs, uh, similar to your score, Zion, but I'm going to go 27-24. Um, Travis Kelsey MVP. <laughs> oh, okay. I like it. Yeah, yeah. I like it too. Uh, yeah, that gives him the podium and gives him the mic, which is a little dangerous. Yes. Uh, but content and news will be created potentially, and that's all we're looking for. Yeah, we're looking yeah. for stuff to talk about on Monday. Yes. Yeah, I, I, I may or may not have seen a peek of the NFL script. Ooh. Travis is going to get up there and say some fun stuff. Yeah, and he's going to propose to Taylor Swift right there. Yeah. <sighs> Yeah. That would be that would be nuts. That would absolutely shatter the internet. I'd be so upset. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because like I wonder if he has that in his head, and it's like, well, if they lose, then if I were her, I'd say no. I wouldn't want to do it in that spot. If any, if romanticism exists, if he does that, she's breaking up with him, and she's gonna write a whole album about him. <laughs> I'm gonna listen to it. <laughs> And we already got one song. It's uh, you know Seth's got oh, yeah. the you know, oh, yeah, first yeah. song on so the album. Yeah, she had an album announcement last night. That oh, is did? the opening single of her new album coming out April nineteenth. Remember 19th. when he did the Chat GBT thing on on the? Oh, yeah. that's right. Yeah. That is yeah, the opening. Right. Uh, fumbled away is the fumbled opening. Away. Is <laughs> the opening is the number one signal uh, on her new album. Ooh. So uh, okay, yeah, it's ex- it's gonna ex- it's exciting stuff. Uh, It'll be played in the spot where America Beautiful is usually played um, yeah. at the next Super Bowl. Yeah, nice. Very Can't nice. wait. This is big stuff. Yeah, I also get excited for the uh, commercials. I'm yes. still that kind. Of, I still love the commercials. Oh, yeah. uh, I'm excited to see uh, Chris Pratt as uh, the the Pringles man. Oh, is he the Pringles man? Yeah, he's oh. gonna do. There's already like a sneak peek of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and obviously like movie trailers and all that and whatever. Yeah. I got a question for y'all. Yeah. Okay. What's your favorite? Uh, Super Bowl memory of all time. Obviously, none of our teams have ever been in it in our our lifetime. Yeah. um, No, they have not. But I got good memories of sitting and watching the big game. I got to think about this. 
come back to me because the last few years have been tough because it's been a lot of teams that I don't like. So it's just like uh. yeah, I need to look at the past Super Bowl matchups for like ten. First seconds. one that I remember was uh, 2008 or nine with the Steelers versus the Cardinals. Oh, yeah. um, I became a humongous San Antonio. San Antonio. San Antonio. <laughs> San Antonio Holmes. <laughs> became a Man. huge fan of his after that uh <laughs> um yeah so uh that's like my earliest memory of the super bowl um yeah i i don't know if i have like a favorite super bowl memory though um a cool moment, I think, was seeing the Patriots just come back. I think that was ridiculous. Yes. That I, was, I, I think that was the most ridiculous yes. like comeback I've ever seen that was on, on this, the biggest that, stage. That was, that was day. nuts. Uh, oh, was that uh, on this day in history? Yeah, eight years ago. <laughs> uh, the interception, Malcolm Butler, I remember watching that, and I'm like, yeah. oh, my God. Why He's picked they... off by Malcolm Butler. Well, yeah, I why haven't, did they run the ball? My favorite Super Bowl memory of all time was watching um, the – Broncos win Super Bowl 50. Oh, yeah, uh, when Cam Newton pulled out. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That was, I don't know. I was like deadly sick that day. I was so sick. Oh. I remember I, I was sitting in, in a love seat just inhaling cough drops, and I was like, Peyton Manning, let's go. What, what's a love seat? Yeah. It's what? like a bigger, like, it's like big enough for two people, but like oh. not big enough for three. Mm, okay. It's on a couch, but it's also not like just a regular chair. Interesting. Yeah. So, Okay. Just by myself, there with my go. cough drops. There you go. There you go. Taking them uh, recolas. Yeah, uh, it was. It was like haze. I think actually. Okay. Okay. Yeah, but that's my favorite because uh, I thought it was hilarious that Peyton Manning was still standing up. Yeah. He, bar- he barely looked like he'd stand. Yeah. What? Well, th- that was a, the season. Brock Osweiler kind of really got them there. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I mean, it wasn't even Peyton. Sadly. And he got paid for yeah. it too. Yeah, he got paid. So. Um, interesting stuff for this weekend. Again, the Chiefs and the Kansas City, uh, not Royals, the Chiefs. Um, sorry, that was going on in my head. Um, <laughs> the Kansas City Chiefs will be playing in the, this year's edition of the Super Bowl. Um, should be a fun game, but that does bring our show to a close. Again, once again, we just want to thank Jared Sandler for making the time and coming down to the studio today to have a conversation with us. Really got some great insight on the Rangers from their 2023 World, Championships, uh, World Series Championship season. Um, and we, we, we had a great time looking ahead to what 2024 has to offer. So um, really great stuff in this episode. Really appreciate Jared for coming on. Um, if you guys want to follow us on Instagram at Twitter, that's at Review, And then feel free to catch up on all of our episodes on uh, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. That's also at Review. But until next time, for Seth Dowdle and Zion Trammell, I'm Ian Nepetian, and we will see you guys next week.